Right, well, we are in, let's watch my water, in this series in Hebrews, better, and we're in this section, chapter 7 to 10, where we're looking at all these things from the Old Testament and how the writer shows that Jesus is better. So first up, we looked at the better priest. And then last week, we were thinking about the better covenant. And this week, we are thinking, or starting to think about a better sacrifice. A better sacrifice. And we'll be thinking of this for the next few weeks. Now, our passage, if you keep it open, if you've got it in front of you, says that there were regulations for worship under the old covenant. And there was a holy place where all this happened, called the tabernacle. Now, there are 50 chapters in the Old Testament alone that talk just about the tabernacle and what was to go on, what it was to look like and what was to go on in it. The writer of the Hebrews tries to sum all this up or does sum all this up in one small section. Now, the tabernacle should look a bit like this. It was a big tent inside an even bigger courtyard. Like this. And the Israelites put this up in, whilst they were wandering in the desert. And God had given them instructions of what it was supposed to be like and how it was supposed to look. Now, all the people could go into the courtyard bit. People could go into that outside bit, and that's where they had the altar. You can see it there, and that's where the animals came. Um, but they wouldn't stay for long because they would be sacrificed. Now, we can't see inside the tent in this picture, but inside the tent, it was split into two. Now, the first bit was called the holy place. The first bit was called the holy place. Now, only the priests were allowed into the holy place. We're in verse 2 in our passage, and it tells us that there were a couple of things in the holy place. There was a lampstand. Not an electric one, so we'll move there. There was a lampstand, which came out with big candles and flames. And the priests had to go in every day and trim the candles and light the flames to make sure it was still good. There was a lampstand in there. There was also, it says, a table. And on the table was put the daily bread. So there it is. Wraps is probably closer to what it was, but there, there we are. So we've got, so we've got the table. It says, and then the bread of presence that would be put on the table. And the priest's job was to make sure that that bread was fresh and changed every day. So the priests would come in. They'd look after the candles. They'd look after the bread. Now there was one more thing in the holy place. The book of Exodus tells us when this is all set up, the altar of incense. It sat right about here. 
this side of the curtain. Although the author of the Hebrew says it was on the other side of the curtain. Did he get it wrong? He's a bit of an expert in Old Testament. Why has he said that? Well, we're not going to talk about that this morning, but there's your homework for life group this week. Why does he put the altar of incense on that side of the curtain when on Exodus it says it's on this side of the curtain? There we are. Come to life group this week and we'll talk about it. But there was a curtain, a great big curtain. Uh, Cameron, can you come and help me? Can you come and help? Um, I thought Cal would be here this morning. I was going to get Cameron and Cal to be the curtain because I thought it would be good to have the Scottish as an unbreakable wall today. That would be fitting. <laughs> you stand there. Uh, but Rob, can you come and help me as well? <laughs> here we go. You hop on one side. There we are. It's useful moving house when you've got all these. <laughs> so, yeah, if you go that high, you're going to ache in two minutes, aren't you? So there, there was a huge curtain which separated the two sides. This was the holy place. And on the other side of the curtain is called the holiest place or the holy of holies. And on that side of the curtain stood one thing. The Ark of the Covenant. Now, this isn't an Ark of a Covenant, but I bought this because this, does anyone know what, guess what this is? It's a baby memory box. It's where you put all the memories of a baby. All of our boys have got one of these. Not Obi, fourth child. Uh, but all the others have got one of these uh, boxes. And in it, we put little things to remember, like their shoes, first shoes, their first pictures, and things like that. I put that there because that's what the Ark of the Covenant was. Our passage tells us that inside the Ark of the Covenant, of the Covenant it held the urn, holding manna from the desert. It held Aaron's staff that budded. And it held the tablets of the law that we were thinking about last week. Things that reminded the people of the great power of God. How he provided and looked after their needs. And how much he loved them. But it probably looked a bit more like that, a bit bigger and a bit golder, with those angels over the top and the bit in the middle called the mercy seat. It's where the presence of God was. So everyone was allowed in the courtyard. Priests were allowed in the holy place. But only the high priest was allowed through this curtain to the holy of holies. And then only once a year on a special day called the Day of Atonement to do a very special thing on behalf of the people and sprinkle blood from the sacrifices as an offering. And that high priest could only do that once he'd gone through a whole program of washing and cleansing and making himself clean on the outside and making sacrifices for his own sin. And only then, when he was clean, I, <laughs> I told you, could he go... <laughs> only then could he go through the curtain now that's the first seven verses of our chapter today covered I think the writer loves talking about the tabernacle that's the idea I get when I read Hebrews when he's describing all the different bits he says at the end verse 5 he says of these things we cannot speak now in detail it almost feels like he could and he would want to it almost feels like you would want to talk about you know, the bread 
how Jesus is the bread of life. And the light, how Jesus is the light of the world. But he doesn't do that because he's disciplined. And he's here to make this overarching point of the purpose of the tabernacle and all these things. And he shows us that the tabernacle, well, there it is on the inside. The tabernacle is a place of problem and promise. Okay, chaps, you, you can go now. <laughs> there we are. The tabernacle is a place of problem and promise. Well, first, how does he show us the problem? Verse 8 in our passage says, By this the Holy Spirit teaches, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet open. The Day of Atonement, all these sacrifices, show us the problem of sin. That our rebellion against an almighty God is a problem. These things we say with our mouth, do with our hands and think in our heads. When we say to God, no thanks, I don't want your way, I'm going to do it my way. That's a big problem. And it separates us from a holy God. And that's what the picture of this curtain was. This curtain's quite flimsy. You could walk through. But the curtain in the tabernacle was big and thick, almost like a wall. And no one else could go through it. It stopped anyone going into that place where the presence of God was. It was like a barrier, a big keep-out sign that said, because of your sin, you can't come in. And the writer says, whilst the tabernacle was here, whilst the daily sacrifices were needed, whilst this curtain still separated the people off, it was a big reminder that the old covenant could not provide a way for people to permanently come into the presence of God. Tabernacle showed a problem. But it also showed the promise. Verse 9 starts with those words in brackets there, which is symbolic for the present age. The word translated there, symbolic, is where we get our word parable from. You know the stories Jesus told of earthly things like farming and weddings that pointed to heavenly meanings. Well, that's what the tabernacle was. A parable, or as we were thinking last week, a shadow, a signpost that one day we could know intimacy with God through a better sacrifice. And that's what the writer says was needed, a better sacrifice. Because the writer shows us the problem with the Old Testament sacrifices, with the old sacrificial system. And this is what he tells us. He says that the old sacrifices were temporary and outward. They were temporary and outward. Well, what do I mean by temporary? Verse 6 in our passage, it says the priests needed to make these sacrifices daily. They had to keep doing the same thing over and over. And even the biggie on the Day of Atonement, well, that was an annual. Every year the high priest had to do it. 
and he had to make all those sacrifices for himself. The sacrifices weren't dealing with the problem of sin. An offering had to be made over and over and over. And even the priest himself was temporary. We thought of that the other week, didn't we? High priests would come and then go. And when they would die, you'd get a new high priest, but their job was exactly the same as the old high priest to keep making these sacrifices over and over again. It was temporary and it was outward. It only dealt with the outside, not what was going in the, on in the heart, the real you. Verse 9, these gifts and sacrifices cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipper, but only deal with the outside bits, washings and regulations for the body. They can't give forgiveness. They can't take away guilt. They couldn't give assurance of salvation. Now the sacrifices were temporary and they were outward but they were good because they were pointing forward to something much, much better. And that takes us up to the writer's point. Verse 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest, when Jesus came, he said he changed everything because Jesus is better. And he is the better sacrifice. But what is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Well, it's when he died on the cross. And Jesus' sacrifice isn't temporary or outward. Let's look at the temporary bit first. Our boys and girls are going to look at some big Bible words today, some definitions for you to write down. And our first big Bible word that this passage tells us about is redemption. Redemption. What does redemption mean? Well, it means to save. But it's got more of this idea to save, but by being bought back. To buy back. In the New Testament, it's often tied in the imagery with that of the slave market at the time. To redeem a slave was to buy their freedom. For us to know redemption, Jesus Christ paid a price, a sacrifice to free us from the power and penalty of sin. People are naturally far from God. Because like we said earlier, sin is a barrier between us and him. And, Bible, and the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The natural path of sin if you carry on in it, is life forever away from God. Punishment. But the verse doesn't finish there. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. Because Jesus is the better sacrifice, he took that sin upon himself and he paid the price. He took what I deserved. He took the wages so I could know the gift. He is the better sacrifice. And the redemption he brings 
completely deals with the temporary nature of the old sacrificial system. Well, how look at what the writer says about Jesus' sacrifice. Verse 14, he offered himself. Who through the eternal spirit offered himself. Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew the cost of saving us. And he offered himself. Look at the comparison with the animal sacrifices. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't choose to be sacrifices. They didn't freely offer of themselves. But Jesus is the gift-giving son. Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ gave himself. And there's that word up there, ransom. You see that picture in the movies, don't you? When something's taken and the baddie guys phone and say you can't have it back until you pay the price. That's what Jesus did. He gave himself to pay the price so that we could know forgiveness of sins. He offered himself, secondly, without blemish. Verse 14 goes on. He offered himself without blemish to God. Now we're told that the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament had to be without blemish. It means there had to be nothing wrong with them. But when you're talking about a goat, that means physically, no marks or wonky legs. We're not talking morally. They weren't hunting around for a morally good goat. But even this was a picture pointing forward to Jesus. Because Jesus Christ offered himself without blemish. That's exactly what it does mean for Jesus. Jesus was perfect and he never sinned. So when he did die, it wasn't because he had done anything wrong. He wasn't like the old priests who had to make themselves clean first before they could sacrifice for the others. No, he was the spotless lamb of God who died in my place. The sacrifice of animals needed to happen over and over because there was nothing intrinsically good about them. But Jesus' sacrifice lasts forever because he was the perfect sacrifice. He offered himself without blemish, once for all. This is how the writer says in verse 12, and deals with the temporary altogether. He entered the holy place, once for all, into the holy places. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is full and final. It does not need repeating. It was a single act of sacrifice. He completed the work of salvation. Unlike the animal sacrifices that the old priests had to keep bringing, Jesus died once. Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. You see, the contrast is there. In the old covenant, there were daily reminders and a big annual one that people are sinful and cannot approach God. But the once for all promise of the new covenant says that because of Jesus' sacrifice, God says, I will remember their sins no more. That is why Jesus redeems us. But that's no temporary redemption. He entered once by means of his own blood. What securing us an eternal redemption. Jesus' sacrifice is better because it deals with the temporary nature 
of the old. It's a once-for-all, eternal, redeeming sacrifice. What about the outward only bit? Well, I've got two more big Bible words for you, boys and girls. How do we deal with the outward bit? And the first is purification. Purification. I wonder if you know what that means. You see? It means to make clean. And the problem with the uh, old sacrifices, they, they were concerned with the outside, about being clean on the outward. Verse 13 gives us an example. It talks about the sprinkling of a defiled person with the ashes of a heifer. Now this is where some people lose these Old Testament sacrifices because it does sound a bit weird, doesn't it? You can read all about it in Numbers 19 if you want. But this is what he's talking about here and it tells us in Numbers 19. It's what you did if someone had become ceremonially unclean. Now that could happen in a number of ways. Usually, though, if you'd been around someone who had died. So there was this ceremony because you were now unclean to make you clean again. And what the priest would do is take this bull and sacrifice it all. There are some good bits in Numbers 19 where it says it takes the skin, the flesh, the bones, and the dung. The only one, it says the dung was burnt in this sacrifice as well. So he takes the dung as well, and he burns it all. And then he takes the ashes, mixes it with water, and then it's sprinkled on the unclean person. And this would make them outwardly clean again. It does sound a bit weird to us, doesn't it? But this is what they'd been doing for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But this is the writer's point. It's the old lesser to the greater argument. He says, if doing that, which you've been doing and agreeing to, makes you clean on the outside, how much more will the sacrifice of the Son of God who willingly gave himself the sinless saviour to die in our place to take our punishment, how much more will that make you clean, but not just the outside, make us clean on the inside? The blood of goats and bulls cannot take away sin, we're told. But they were pointing forward to the one who could. The whole process of being ceremonially unclean and clean was to show how unholy we were, but to point forward to the one who can make us clean everywhere. The blood of goats and bulls can't take away sin, but they were pointing to the one who could, the better sacrifice, who makes us clean within. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. Which leads us on to our final big word of the day. Liberation. The final box on your sheet, boys and girls. Liberation, it means freedom, to be set free. Because the old system dealt with the outward only, there wasn't freedom 
under the old system. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices, verse 9, are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipper. The conscience, the bit inside that tells a person who they really are, that makes them aware of their rebellion against a great God. The bit where guilt comes from. And animal sacrifices couldn't do anything about that bit. But Jesus redeems us and he purifies us. He makes us clean within and we read he purifies our conscience. What can free the sinner longing for release? What can free the one overwhelmed with guilt? that Jesus Christ has given himself for you so that you may be forgiven and freed. That you may come to God, seek forgiveness and be made clean. That sins can be forgiven and the promise that they will be remembered no more. And what of the Christian who thinks I've sinned again? I'm no good. I can't come before God. Well, he's freed you too. And it's all because of him and his sacrifice. You are now a child of God, welcomed before your father. There was no freedom under the old, no real assurance. But under the new, there is because it's nothing of what we do. And it's all because of Jesus Christ. And look what else we are liberated from in that last verse dead works dead works what does he mean well he's talking about anything we do to try and make ourselves right with god it's not trying to be a nice person it's not trying to give your money to charity and hoping maybe i'll make it no there's nothing you can do but it's all been done for you by jesus We cannot secure peace with God through our own actions. But we are guaranteed peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we are free from dead works. Does that mean we're free to do nothing? Well, no, finish the verse with me. Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now Jesus Christ sets us free to be who we were always supposed to be. Purity is not the end, but it gives new life. New life in fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. So it's not about what I can do to make it in, but it's about a relationship. It's about walking right before him. It's about being a disciple, serving with pleasure in acts that abound from a thankful heart. You see, true worship isn't about doing the ceremonial things we saw in the Old Testament. It's so much more than that. We are freed from sin to serve. So the life I live now, I live in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a sacrifice. What 
a saviour. That's what we're going to remember in a moment when we come to this table. But we started the passage by saying there was a problem. Sin kept us from coming to God. But there was a promise. And because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, we can be redeemed, purified, and liberated. And if you are living in this promise, well, now we can do as we read in chapter 4 and take joy in the fact that we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Go through the curtain because Jesus has done it. We'll get there in chapter 10. And if you're not living in the promise today, then you are still living in the problem. That's what the Bible tells us. But because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, because he has done it all, you can come to him today and know forgiveness of sins, peace with God, and a sure hope for the future. The tabernacle showed there was a problem, but it pointed forward to a promise, a wonderful promise, a saviour. And he can be yours today.